Talk 1110-993 WBT. Hour number three on this Friday afternoon. And uh, the phone numbers, as always, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at the Pete Callender Um Had an email here from Brad who said, uh, Pete, you make a good point about who may have had access to the Corvette vault at Joe Biden's house that uh, may have left the documents in there. Another question, who has the freedom to rummage around in Joe Biden's garage but would also turn Biden in. I smell a dog-faced pony soldier. Yeah. I remember hearing some time ago that that Hunter Biden's actions almost scream, catch me. Like, like pleading, begging, I want to be caught so this ends. I'm not saying that's what happened here. I'm just, it was just, a, a, it was just something that popped into my mind when I read the email. All right. So I was going over the, in the last hour, this was uh, uh, installment number 14 of the Twitter files. Matt Taibbi reporting on it, but I've actually been sitting on several Twitter files for a couple of days now, uh, another installment, a couple different batches. Um, and, and look, I try to read through all of them and some of them are just not, uh, they're not, I mean, they're not as newsworthy, at least to me. Um, but there was one and it's kind of, and I, and for people who want to know what my process is, this is part of the process. I will, I start building topics. I'll start in my show prep, you know, my stack of stuff and I'll start adding to them. And I have different topics. I got binder clips and as if you give a story a couple days to get legs, you get a bigger, uh, you get a wider view of what the story is, and you get different angles to it and such. And so last week I was sitting on, um, yes, not just some classified documents from Biden's garage, but also uh, I was sitting on one of these other, or two actually, of these Twitter files releases. Matt Taibbi. Uh, titled one of the dumps, How Twitter Let the Intelligence Community In. A, at one point, uh, Twitter and the FBI belly button. The meaning behind the name revealed towards the end of the thread has to do with the COVID cover-up. Taibbi revealed how COVID tweets were flagged as misinformation associated with Russia, Russia, Russia. By the way, that's my Jan Brady impression. Russia, Russia, Russia. Right. So even even debate among epidemiologists, among scientists. Right. I mean, not the science. Tony, the science Fauci, but people who were like, hey, I think Tony, the science Fauci might not be correct on some of this stuff. And they were deemed to be coordinating with Russia. They were Russian disinformation. Everything became Russian disinformation. Let me jump over here and get Stephen on. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the program. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, I'm all right. What's up? Um, so you were talking about the uh, the Russian different disinformation in relation to the 2016 election. Yeah. And how it was basically the sort of story that was just sort of put out and magnified by the media. And that uh, reminded me of what happened right after 
Benghazi where they came out with this story that some random YouTube video yeah. that was inflammatory caused this chain reaction of a spontaneous uprising when, in fact, it was a, a planned terrorist activity. And they knew about it and didn't, didn't send people in time to deal with it. Um, now, come on, Stephen. I mean, really, at what point do, uh, What point now does that really make? I mean, really, uh, what, what does that really matter now? Yeah, it, well, <laughs> it shows a pattern yeah. of when these big events happen, that they have some sort of planned narrative already ready to go. And that's what they put out. And then the media just runs with it if the, if the right people put out the narrative. You know what's a great example of this, too, Stephen? The gas mm-hmm. stove story. We're watching it with the gas stoves, right? Because what what happened? You got you got Trumka Jr. that says, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we're going to look to ban gas stoves." You get the reaction from people, the people who are like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't you know over my you know cold dead body? You're going to get my gas stove." And then what? What? And then what are we seeing in the first like 24 hours? We see the media rush into the story, and they're like, "You know, hey, stoves are bad for you, actually." Oh, my gosh, look at this study. You're going to die, and your kid's going to have asthma and all the bad things about gas stoves, right? And then mm-hmm. when, the, when, the, uh, when the officials start walking it back because the backlash is so great, right, then what do we get? Then we get the stories of, oh, you know, those Republicans, man, they really freaked out. I don't know what they were even thinking about, right? It's, but it, to your point, it's the way that the media rushes to prop up to carry the water for certain narratives to help them develop and then calcify. So that becomes, quote, the truth. Right. And the same thing, the same thing happened with the, uh, the wet markets and the bats. Yeah. COVID. We didn't even look at any other options seriously as a, as a country because there was already this narrative going around, which on its surface is just kind of ridiculous. Well, yeah. Look, I don't know. I, I was thinking about this actually the other day. Why do all of the, like, because uh, they were talking about the price of eggs. I forget who I was listening to. Somebody was talking about the price of eggs, and they mentioned the avian flu. And, and it's like it hit all these states in America. And I was thinking, like, didn't that start in China, too? Why are all of these things starting in China? I know, like, there's, like, some, there, I think there's some sanitation issues going on over there where people live in close proximity to their animals and such. But they also eat and kill a lot of uh, crazy animals and stuff. And they're, like, there's just the sanitary standards are, are not as high. But I, and maybe that's the reason why. But it just, it seems like, man, if we could clean them up a little bit, maybe, maybe we don't get so many of these things coming around the world all the time. Maybe they'll let us export the EPA. We don't need them as much anymore. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. You know me. I'm all about solutions. That's a great solution. We, hey, look, we are, we've used the EPA. We've cleaned up ourselves enough. We think you could use it, guys. How about take our EPA, please? There you go. I love it. Steven, thanks for the call, man. Thank you. All right, take it easy. Have a great weekend. No, this is this is the playbook, right? This is the playbook. They, and this is why people have such little respect for the legacy media outlets, corporate media, whatever you want to call the mainstream media, drive-by media, which is actually Limbaugh's, I mean, that's the term that actually applies the best. It's the drive-by media because they literally treat people like they're drive-by targets. That's what they do. They, they Right, they roll in, they spray the area with their cameras, which is literally what they call it. Did you know that they, yeah, when you come in and you just get lots of video from like an event or whatever, they just say, you know, spray the area, just 
take the camera, get a lot of images, destroy somebody's life with a quote, and take off. And you're on to the next victim. That's that. Uh, that's that's completely appropriate. And that's how we see so many media outlets operating. And this the, the release of this information, particularly as it relates to COVID, you know, they shut down scientific debate at the precise moment when it was most needed. Global Engagement Center, the GEC, the GEC. The GEC. You know what the GEC is? He describes it as a fledgling analytic intelligence arm of the State Department. It, it does sound like you're, it does sound like retching, though. It, which is, I guess that's kind of on brand. Uh, State Department. They claimed to the media in February of 2020 that any questioning about the, the uh, COVID stuff, that this was all coming from Russia. Accounts were flagged as Russian personals and proxies, even if they made claims which are now looking to be increasingly true, such as describing the coronavirus as an engineered bioweapon and blaming research conducted at the Wuhan Institute. GEC looked to get further involved in moderating content, inserting themselves into the conversations we have had, Twitter has had, with Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, uh, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and others. The matter became even more political. As the 2020 presidential election ramped up, Matt Taibbi reminds us that Twitter had been used... Uh, by rolling over for Democratic Party requests when it comes to accounts supposedly Russian-linked in the name of politics, right? They had already been doing this now for a couple of years. As I went over in the last hour, all of that stuff I was talking about with the, the Russia connections and all that, that was all like two or three years before the 2020 election. So they've been priming Twitter and Facebook and Google and Snapchat and Instagram. Probably not TikTok because those are commie Chinese-owned. Anyway, but like all of the others... They've been priming them, just like they were priming them with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And now, bam, 2020 election. Here we go. GEC involves other agencies like the FBI, the CIA. And GEC says in one of the memos that uh, they could rely on the FBI to be the belly button of the USG, the U.S. government, the access point, the umbilical cord, if you will, the, the access point. So we're going we're gonna to funnel all this info through the FBI. Adam Schiff, Democratic politician, right? Critical of the Twitter files and all that's being released now. Um, and Elon Musk. Yeah, he, he makes an appearance, too. The congressman asked for Paul Sperry of the New York Post to be banned. While Twitter initially refused, Sperry was later suspended. Matt Taibbi also reminds everybody uh, how this re- relates to a previously released batch from Michael Schellenberger that I went over a couple days back. Uh, describing Twitter as having been essentially an overwhelmed subcontractor for the U.S. government and its intel agencies. That's what Twitter became. And not only that, they were being paid for it, although probably underpaid for it. $3 million they got from the FBI. But this isn't a big deal. Nobody's really talking about it. So, you know, what is? <laughs> The release of internal Twitter communications, thanks to the actions of the company's new owner, Elon Musk, 
has provided the public health with a unique view of how our government, in coordination with large, powerful corporations, intentionally suppressed dissenting opinions and ideas about COVID and COVID policies. Pradeep Shankar, writing at National Review, says, Amid our vigorous and often angry debates over the pandemic and the way it was handled, political actors were working with Twitter to limit the speech of certain voices challenging what had become the official line. In a December release of one batch of the Twitter files, journalist David Swig, 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 Right. All right. Anyway, David revealed how the Trump and Biden administrations both actively pushed social media to suppress the opinions of certain scientists, thinkers, and physicians in their discussions of the U.S. public health policy response to the pandemic. Politicians, it became clear, wanted to stop the spread of science-based dissent from their policies, setting a dangerous new precedent in America. This startling bipartisan effort to shape public debate over such a critical issue shows how the levers of our government have become corrupt, regardless of who holds power. I will tell you, so when, so I worked in Asheville for uh, eight years, you know, before that I was here at BT, but then um, went to Asheville and uh, was afternoon drive up there for eight years, nine years, whatever. And um, I got let go as part of a company-wide uh, budget reduction or uh, 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 staff reductions that the company does pretty regularly, and uh, I got so I got rift in that uh, in that riff, and that was January of 2020. And about three weeks later, four weeks later or so, right, was when all the COVID stuff started popping. And so I started the podcast and did my podcast for uh, almost two years, and. COVID dominated most of my content. I had, I was, I was monitoring and recording and uh, doing the the daily briefings from Roy Cooper, my good friend Ray. Um, my friends call me Ray, and uh, and you know, and Mandy, who came and gave without taking. Um, also, Mandy Cohen, the Health and Human Services Director, and uh, and I was monitoring the White House press briefings. Right, COVID dominated so much of my content for that time. And I I ran into this very thing because I'm trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong, what's true, what's not, what's known, what's unknown. And I'm trying to figure this out as I'm going and knowing that, like, everybody's trying to figure this out. Who do you trust, right? I don't have, like, a Rolodex of epidemiologists and communicable disease experts infectious disease experts that are that I can just, you know, call and get on the uh, get on the line and talk about this stuff. So I'm looking at other reports. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking on social media for people who are citing other reports and then going to the source material. You're trying to do all of this research to try to figure out what's what. And you start realizing along the way that Well, I did at least. I start realizing along the way that my ability to discern is being corrupted. I'm trying to figure as I'm watching and I'm seeing. Okay, here's a like there was a there was a a a doctor. uh, I want to say he was out in California, and he was, uh, and I forget what 
I forget what he was talking about. It may have been ivermectin. <gasps> Sorry. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? Oh, right, right. Horse paste. Um, I think he was talking about ivermectin, and uh, maybe he had like a cocktail. It wasn't the Zelensky protocol, I think is what that's called, right? The right Zelensky, not not the Ukrainian guy, although maybe he's Ukraine. Not the not the Ukraine Russia stand with Ukraine. Not that guy, but there was. It's I think it's called the Zelensky protocol, which is the uh, it's like a concoction. It's a cocktail rather of different types of um, orally taken medicines and stuff. And I remember this guy, he ran a clinic or something. I want to say it was like at uh, Santa Barbara or something. He and his partner. And they were dressed in the blue scrubs. Do you remember this video? And I watched that. And, and, and I took sound bites out of it. Because to me, and I said this all during the pandemic, I said, we're either practicing battlefield medicine or we're not. That's it. To me, that's the same thing with the climate crisis. Climate change crisis, right? This is either a crisis or it is not. And if the people who are telling me that this is a crisis are not behaving like it's a crisis, then I don't believe that it's a crisis. Okay? That's, that's my standard. If you're not acting like that, then I'm going to assume you're lying about the severity of the, the problem. So we're either practicing battlefield medicine or we're not. And when these guys came out with their recommendations and some other people came out and said, hey, you should be doing this. You know, going outside, going for walks and exercise. And some other people are like, hey, you know, there's some there's this drug, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, right? And and all and vitamin D. And people start talking about all these different things, and you start seeing them getting banned. That's when I that's when I realized my ability to discern what is true and what is not is being corrupted, not by my own doing, but by what I'm allowed to get exposed to, what I'm allowed to see. Because those were, the, those were the things that I happened to see. And then I start thinking, what didn't I see? Because somebody got to him first, right? Dr. Peter McCullough. So whenever somebody would, like come, I would come across somebody making you know, these arguments about this isn't the right course, we need to do this other thing, Great Barrington Declaration and all that, I would immediately try to get to it, try to save what I could, because I knew that they were probably going to get taken down. They were going to get blocked. And that's not scientific debate. And when somebody is saying, like Dr. McCulloch talked about it as uh, hearing at the uh, Texas State Senate a couple years ago, he said, doctors lost sight of what they are supposed to be doing, which is to treat the patient in front of them. And a lot of them just closed up the practice, closed down the hospitals, whatever, and they said, oh, no, we're going to barricade ourselves in and don't come. Don't show up if you're sick. When has that ever been the case? Right? When have they ever done that? Treat the patient. What symptoms do you have? Well, treat him with this. And it reminded me of uh, a guy named Dr. Jemsek who treated Lyme patients and got in trouble for it because, it, the, because his course of treatment ran afoul of what the insurance companies wanted to pay. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got a message here on the Twitter machine from Chris. It's a Pete tweet. I was reading this piece by uh, Nash, uh, by Pradeep Shankar at National Review, where he says the startling bipartisan effort to shape public debate over such a critical issue shows how the levers of our government have become corrupt regardless of who holds power. And Chris said, bipartisan effort? Did Trump administration seek his own banishment from the platform? Give us a break. No, Chris, uh, this is about... 
This is about the censorship and suppression of COVID debate. And Trump was president when COVID hit in 2020. And according to the latest batch of the Twitter files, there are emails and texts between federal government officials and Twitter executives starting in 2020 and that continues through uh, the summer 2022. And it wasn't just Twitter. There were meetings with the Trump White House that were attended also by Google and Facebook and Microsoft. Early 2020, Trump officials tried to get Twitter to censor accounts that were spreading what they deemed to be misinformation. Their goal was to prevent fear and panic buying of groceries and basic medical supplies. They did it, too. They were now now granted uh, it ramped up when the Biden administration took over the effort to use the power of the executive to limit or outright censor dissenting uh, dissenting views accelerated uh, under Joe Biden. But it was occurring. It did happen early on. Look, remember the whole mask thing? Remember the, the, the noble lie that Fauci told us about masks not working? And then, okay, yeah, I'm just kidding. They do. But now, maybe not so much, right? And what we were we were told at the time, when it turned out that everybody was like, wait, 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 you just said don't get a mask, but now you're telling us to get masks? And what did he say? He wanted to protect them for the frontline workers, right? That's why he told us the, quote, noble lie, a lie told in service for some greater good. The deal, though, is once you get caught in the noble lie, you got to go away. You get the punishment. You're out because I can't trust you anymore. Because even though you lied to me and it was for a good purpose, so you thought and it all worked out okay for the noble reason, I still don't trust you because you lied to me. So you got to go. But of course, Fauci doesn't go because he is the science and you can't, I mean, where would we be without science? We need the science and data in order to uh, appropriately uh, worship at the the branch COVIDian services. And so uh, we can't, Right? We can't trust either administration. And a lot of the same people continued on after Biden took over. Right? Biden accelerated this actively and directly. Now, I would submit the reason why the Biden folks were more adept at doing this even more so was because they had already been doing it for the last four years. Right? We know from the other dispatches that... Uh, they the the uh, Democratic politicians and these government agencies, right? The the Intel community they were already infested inside these big tech companies. They were blasting out emails, ban him, ban him, ban them, right? They were already doing this stuff. So when Biden wins, now it's like now it just gets amped up, right? Um, the Biden administration actively and directly targeted and tried to suppress debate regarding COVID-19 science, intentionally trying to punish or silence anybody whom they considered a dissenting voice. There's a guy named Ron Flaherty, the White House's director of digital media. Okay, there He's got a bunch of correspondence. He was, well, I guess it makes sense, him being the director of digital media. He's got a lot of correspondence with a lot of different Big tech platforms and people inside these organizations demanding various levels of suppression and censorship. The emails establish a clear pattern 
Wall Street Journal reports, Mr. Flaherty, representing the White House, expresses anger at the company's failure to censor COVID-related content to his satisfaction. The companies changed their policies to address his demands. As a result, thousands of Americans are silenced for questioning government-approved COVID narratives. Two of the Missouri plaintiffs, this is a lawsuit filed by the Missouri Attorney General, right? Two of the plaintiffs, Martin Koldorf and Jay Bhattacharya, they're epidemiologists whom multiple social media platforms censored at the government's behest for expressing views that were scientifically well-founded, but that they diverged from the government line. For example, that children and adults with natural immunity from prior infection don't need the vaccines. That's what they said, right? These are experts. And they said initially, kids don't need, it's not affecting kids. When we, when we knew and you got to remember, it was a slow-moving thing, right? But at the very beginning, we didn't know who all was contracting it. We knew people were dying. We knew the elderly were dying in, in mass numbers. And so from the very beginning, I said, we need, to, we need to protect the most vulnerable. But we knew so early on. They, that was obvious. What was not so obvious was whether or not kids were going to be impacted to that extent. But we knew within a couple of weeks after COVID started ripping through we realized kids aren't, they're not really catching it as much, or if they are, they're not really being affected by it. It's its a much weaker thing for them. But it's wiping out certain populations. And so I was always saying, let's protect them. And so when these guys come along and they say, hey, if you got sick, you've got natural immunity too. And then the vaccines were developed, Operation Warp Speed, right? And everyone's out there in the Trump administration telling us to get vaccinated, right? And these guys are like, well, if you got natural immunity, you should be all right. And kids, honestly, they, they probably shouldn't even take the vaccine because it, it, it isn't killing them at the right nowhere near the, the rates as anybody else. And so, like, God, all right, thank God, right? Because could you imagine what the pandemic would have been like if it was killing kids like it was killing the elderly? Use of political pressure was not limited to lower-level staffers in the West Wing either. White House Press Secretary Jen Circleback Pisaki, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, and even President Biden himself directly advocated such censorship. From within our federal government came repeated, organized pressure to coerce, possibly illegally, to coerce these private companies to censor the free speech of Americans whose positions deviated from government-approved messaging. And it very well may be the most sustained and organized effort of censorship in modern American history. How many media outlets are covering this, by the way? I, I mean, I know I, I, I bring the, you know, some pretty regularly. I bring the latest dispatches from the Twitter files to you. Okay, so I, I bring these to you. And I don't even bring all, they're up to 14 or 15 now. I think I've brought to you maybe five or six of them. I've gone through them all. I've read all of them. But I, I, I've i selectively edited the catalog. <laughs> I've, I've cherry-picked the science. No, I've, I've only gone through and found the ones that I think represent the, the biggest threats. And I'm astonished at how few media outlets care about this maybe they're embarrassed because they played a role in it or something i don't know i don't know
But it's kind of scary. It's disturbing. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. One of the big problems, aside from the censorship and the suppression of dissenting views during a crisis, right, GovCo telling companies silence these dissenters and all that because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're spreading messages counter to whatever the narrative is that we want advanced. One of the major problems also with this, this idea of misinformation, disinformation, is that the government officials were actually spreading things that weren't true themselves, right? <laughs> so from the, 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 quote, the noble lie on the masks, right, and then flip-flopping on that, how about um, that the COVID vaccines would prevent transmission? From the very beginning, I said, I am all about getting to herd immunity. I don't care how we get there. If everybody's got to get sick first or we get some vaccines, like mixture of both, herd immunity is how we get past it, is how we, how we get on with our lives. And then when it turned out that the vaccines don't actually prevent the transmission, right, we have the, these same people that are telling everybody else to be suppressed and censored, they keep saying these things that aren't true. And once authoritarian powers like this become tolerated by the public, their use will spread. See, this, these are the things that are, that are coming to light thanks to the, the release of the Twitter files. This is the stuff that... Yes, this is the stuff that we're now learning. And, I, and it, it is sad to me and I want to believe, I want to be perplexed. I want to be confused by why so many media outlets are not doing deep dives into this. And I'm, and I'm not just talking national. I'm talking state, local outlets. If you sat in on Governor Cooper's press conferences with uh, Mandy Cohen, if you sat in and you, you monitored those, if you were a reporter, you covered those things, this is on you too. This is this stuff affects you too because you were spreading information that was coming from the government officials, those same officials that were suppressing dissenting opinions. This is what we have learned from the uh, from the purchase by Elon Musk of Twitter. Oh, we've also learned that uh, journalists they can't quit you; they just can't. They cannot quit Twitter. I remember watching all these people uh, in media and, uh, and on the left, but I repeat myself, that they were, uh, as they would mock and ridicule people on the right who got so fed up with being censored and suppressed and banned and shadow banned and throttled back and all of this. And they were like, I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. And Parlor got set up. And they're like, I'm going to parlor. And then, of course, all the racists are over there. And they're like, oh, darn it. And then you're like, oh, well, here's, here's Gab. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that was Gab. Gab. And then parlor. And then you got MeWe. And I'm trying to remember all of the different uh, Truth Social, right? You got all the different platforms. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go over there. And the lefties would just mock and mock and mock. And what happened when Twitter got bought by Musk? They were like, we're going to Mastodon. And everybody else is like, what's a Mastodon? Hey, don't, didn't those go extinct? Well, yes, they did. And yes, it is, kind of. Like right now. Two six-packs of shiner, 99-cent butane lighter, lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron. 
that igloo cooler Take a guess at all to do her I can feel a good one coming on Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard Sing along to Redneck Mother Any blues I had before are gone Another working week is over No chance of staying sober So about 90 days ago, right? 90 days ago, everybody's like, we're leaving. We're going to Mastodon. People were even like shepherding all these journalists over to Mastodon. It didn't quite take. Three blondes in a ragtop Mustang Followed us down to the lake And didn't have to think about that too long Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight Situation couldn't be more right Feel a good one coming on Yeah, we gonna roll all night We gonna get the feeling right We gonna keep this party rocking Till the break of dawn Yeah, I can feel a good one Feel like a good one I can feel a good one so now, according to The Guardian, the number of active users on the Mastodon social network has dropped more than 30% since the peak and is continuing a slow decline towards extinction. According to the latest data posted on its website, there were about 1.8 million active users in the first week of January. That's down from over 2.5 million in early December. In other words, Twitter is still the heartbeat of real-time online news. I will see you on Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Until the break of dawn